Welcome everyone. Um, today we're back with another video um, regarding Jewish medical ethics. Um, today we'll be taking a slight detour. We've been discussing Shabbos and residency up until now, but I think with the incoming students going into school and anatomy labs just around the corner, it'd be nice to just take a break and discuss anatomy dissection and halacha. So our goal um, with this presentation is really just to take a skin deep dissection into some of the classic sources. Um, and honestly, the real reason why we kind of switched our programming for this week is that someone, someone asked me a question. Uh, and this is going to be kind of in our vignettes. So the question was posed as follows. Uh, this was a real question that was sent kind of just a, just a couple days ago. Um, and it was at one of the pristine you know, medical institutions here in the tri-state area. Uh, Maisha, if you don't mind reading our vignette. Sure. Um, so we have Kavermi Arp is a scholar and gentleman. He likes to sip a fresh batch of cold brew in his free time while watching the sunset or the clear waters of Cancun. He's an incoming medical student and will wreck the grading curve at the institution that is lucky enough to have him. He received an interesting email from faculty and has a shayla. Is a Jewish student allowed to dissect the body of a Jewish body donor for the sake of medical education? Continuing with this line of thought, is future Dr. Arp allowed to watch allowed to watch the dissection of a Jewish cadaveric donor? And does medical halacha have any other guidance or restrictions concerning anatomy dissection? All right, so um, the names were just kind of changed for protect the innocent. And so really to phrase it, we have two, two basic questions. One, is a Jewish student allowed to dissect the Jewish body? And two, are you allowed to gain derived benefit from watching the dissection of a Jewish body? All right, and otherwise, are there any kind of recommendations when you're entering the cadaver lab? So why do we do dissections? Uh, there are a few different reasons for post-mortem interventions, so to speak, on, on cadaveric bodies. Um, one is the study of anatomy and pathology. You know, as incoming medical students, you wanna really understand the human form. Uh, you wanna understand all the nuts and bolts, um, the establishment of cause of death. Um, you know, this is kind of in a post-mortem situation where you wanna understand why a patient passed on for you know, reasons of you know, medical inquisitiveness. Um, three is medical research. The progress of science really is by understanding um, <clears throat> the conditions and etiologies that may present. Four, there might be a, a forensic value to understanding you know, cause of death in, in a case of potential foul play. And five, for organ retrieval for transplantation. Uh, today, we're just gonna be focusing on the first one, which is the study of anatomy and pathology. Um, and we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna basically phrase the dynamic tension between values uh, when you're respecting the human form and by driving benefit, you know, some great values of, of benefit. And how do we balance, you know, potential competing values? So just to give a, a brief historical perspective. Um, in general, when I, when I you know, look at some of the you know, basic sources that are, are now under the umbrella term of medical alaha, it's really, it's really important to understand the history, understand each response to as it comes in its historical time frame. And, and, and it really is, is, is uh, quite, quite poignant when looking at this, this topic of dissection, because you're going to find that there are different generations where this and similar questions uh, really kind of exploded on the scene of uh, halakhic literature and others, others not so much. And, and the basic history is as follows. The Greeks and the Egyptians did a lot of anatomy dissection. Anatomy is actually a Greek word. Anatome means dissection and omi is just, you know, the study of. So it's the study of dissection fundamentally is what anatomy historically was for, for, for a lot of history. The Romans had a, a strong taboo and later uh, kind of the, the, the Roman Catholics had a strong taboo which kind of shaped the Western world's approach. Uh, so really from the 
uh, fall of Alexandria, all the way through until the Enlightenment, there were no cadaver you know, dissections done. Uh, it really wasn't practiced. Um, and that actually kind of has a, has a funny implication on the history of, of Western medicine. Uh, in Western medicine, kind of Galen never actually dissected a body. A lot of his anatomy came from uh, either gladiators uh, that he treated or it came from animal dissections. Uh, and so a lot of kind of misconceptions would come into Western medicine for hundreds of years because of, of a lack of dissections that were done. But that also means that the, the, you, know, you have a big explosion of, of some literature kind of uh, around you know, the earlier time period, but then you don't really have this concept of dissection come up um, until really the Enlightenment starts, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th century. Uh, and it's kind of interesting to read. There's a, a brief little synopsis of, of some of this history in, the, in the Dr. Dr. Steinberg's book, uh, The Encyclopedia of Jewish Medical Ethics. Um, highly recommend, highly good read, uh, very informative, and, and really a great starting point for any topic in, in, in medical law. Um, th there's an interesting history, um, and, and the, you'll, you'll find many times in Shastri and the, the, the Chacham will talk about uh, the human form. Um, one prominent example is in Sathaprathas when we say, you know, Krishma has 248 words uh, to Krishma, and they correspond to the 248 limbs of the body. Um, and the question is, wait, how did how the Chachamim come up with their count? Um, the Chacham were also, you know, also were, were very specific, saying that there were 635, uh, 335 uh, 365, I apologize, 365 ligaments and sinews in the body. So how did, how did they come up with their anatomical knowledge? Um, so one potential, you know, one possible, it was actually empirical evidence. Uh, there's an interesting story. Uh, the, the students of Rabbi Shemal, Rabbi Shemal was a Tana, was one, had, had one of the big schools of Tanaim before Rabbi Akiva. So this was you know, around, the, around, the, around the first, sometime in the first century. Uh, and the, the story goes, um, it's it said in the name of, um, said in the name of Shemal, the students of Rabbi Shmuel uh, had to boil a harlot. What was the story? The background was that the king uh, condemned her to death and said that, your, that her punishment was, you know, after, after she was killed, she, she had to be boiled. The, 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 the king was really important to the king that the, that the, that the Jews would make sure that the, the body was totally disintegrated. Um, the Ben Yayada remarks on this story. He says that it sounds like uh, that the king uh, made, uh, you know, had this proclamation that she had to, she had to be boiled, and therefore the, the students of Rabbi Shmuel decided that they're going to learn something from this, you know, try to try to derive some benefit from this uh, very sad occurrence. Um, <clears throat> and so they come to Rabbi Shmuel and they ask the question, and we found that the, this woman had two two hundred two limbs, and not the two hundred forty-eight that we that we normally said normally say. And so Shmuel says, Rabbi Shmuel answered that women actually women actually have a couple of more limbs, just the way it was counted. All right, but interesting story, uh, and it shows that there there was. Some some appreciation in, in, in the Jewish sources, uh, you know, in contrast to the, the non-Jewish sources, to you know the practice of this section, even though it definitely wasn't widely done. <clears throat> All right. So whenever kind of approaching a, a subject such as this, you can you can you can see that there sometimes can be competing values. So one value that we have in Judaism is obviously the the, the, the treating life as a sacrosanct uh, and and having the the, the, the the sacred nature of, of human life. Its values override other religious values. And, and that's brought down. The Pasuk, that, you know, kind of the way this is learned in, uh, in, the, in the original, you know, in a lot of the sources is that uh, you have religious values, but the religious values are all secondary to the value of, of saving human life. And that human life needs to be a religious value above all else. Um, all right, so from there we can see that potential actions that will take a person towards saving a human life, like the study of anatomy, that has great value. On the other hand, there's a prohibition against desecrating the deceased. And this is brought down in the Chumash Torah. Um, and this comes from after capital punishment, there was a practice of hanging the body up um, 
for, for, for the community to see right in front of the Besden. For, for more on that, you can kind of read the Rambam that deals with some of, some, you know, some of this practice. But the, the halacha was that it needs to be done for a very short time, and it couldn't be left over all night. And the way the Pasi phrases it, for an impaled body is an affront to God. Or in the Hebrew, it's a curse to God, the fact that the human form is desecrated and, and, and disrespected in this way. Um, the the Rishayim deal with this in a couple of different couple of different ways. Rashi says, you know, why is this a curse to God? He says, because man was created in God's image. And the, the Bnei Israel are the sons of God. And therefore, if you're going to take the son of God, create in his image, and you're, going to, and you're going to hang him and desecrate his body, you're, by the way, also desecrating the king of kings, you're desecrating Hashem himself. All right. Right. So Rashi kind of learns this, that specifically this is to do with the Jewish soul and that the Jewish body, therefore, is sacred. Being that the Jewish body is sacred, you can't disrespect the Jewish body because that's tantamount to desecrating God himself. The Ramban takes a slightly different approach, and he reads it much more humanistically. And he says, it, it's almost like this case is where you have two, uh, he, he, he's, quoting, uh, he's quoting a medrash, he says you have two twin brothers. You have one brother uh, that becomes the king and the other brother that is not the king. The, the king finds out that they're going to desecrate the, the, the second body of, of, of his twin. He says, no, it's going to look terrible. Why is it going to look terrible? Because he looks exactly like me, and you're, you're taking my form, and you're desecrating my form. And he says, It's not like our, our, our teacher, um, our, our teacher Rashi said that it's only referring to Jews. And he says, when Yeshua went into the land of Canaan, and he, and, he, and he fought war against the kings of Canaan, and, 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 and when they passed on, he made sure to, to bury their bodies. He buried their bodies because all human form is uh, divinely inspired. And we're all created in the image of God. And therefore, all you know, the, 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 the bodies of, of, all, of all mankind are, are, are therefore sacred and need to be respected. So here we have a, a philosophical difference that turns into a pretty prominent legal difference between Rashi and the Rambam. Uh, Rashi says that this really only applies on duress level to Jews. And the Ramban says, no, it applies to all humans, the human form itself. Because as, 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 as Bracious says, we're all created in God's image. So just to, now, just to frame things a little bit, it sounds a lot <laughs> like our conversation really mimics Shabbos, just from the beginning in terms of like the same way we have um, a prohibition against transgressing Shabbos, we have the prohibition of transgressing like and violating uh, a, a body. And then on the counter argument would be that in general, the Torah always provides us for ways to live and, and the promotion of life. And so if there is the value of promotion of life, these two things may um, contradict each other. If, if desecrating a body the same way desecrating Shabbos may promote the value of life, then the question is what trumps what? Um, and I would just say, in terms of the, the Rishonim, Rashi, and Ramban, um, it, it seems like, just uh, like you said, like um, humanistic forum and just like Kabbalistically speaking, um, it mimics a lot of, of what we say elsewhere in terms of that God never wants to destroy uh, life, regardless of how one may live their life and, and whether or not they keep true to the values that God wants them to keep. Um, regardless, life is a beautiful thing. and it's desecration is something to take into consideration because in a sense, it's, we're an extension of God and like, it's sort of like desecrating God. That's what it seems like where these um, sources are coming from. Yeah, definitely in the Ramban, you can definitely say that. And there's kind of an interesting parallel. Whenever, whenever the, the Jewish verses get more mystical, you find that they also become more humanist. Um, which is, is kind of funny because you think in the, in, in the general Western conception of religion, the more mystical it becomes, the less humanistic it becomes. But you'll find that, that, that authors like the Ramban, um, Arizal, they, they end up valuing life on, uh, and, and beauty also as well. Uh, there, there's kind of like a, a sanctity to, 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 to other humanistic values as well, uh, which is definitely something interesting to explore. Um, so I think, I think part of, part of um, exploring these topics 
is to understand not only what our Jewish values are, but to also understand how they can influence and how we can make a bridge between kind of the professional side of ourselves as well as our, our Jewish traditions. Um, it's, it's really important to figure out how to give a voice to our Jewish values in the professional area, because firstly, these Jewish values should be a light not only to us, but to, to all those around us. Uh, and also, there shouldn't, we shouldn't you know, live our, our, our lives so, you know, uh, so fractured that, that the Jewish side and the, and the secular side are completely different. Uh, that sounds like a, some sort of, a dissonance that, that can be uncomfortable. So we're going we're gonna to see that there's a, there's a value of human life. And there's also a value of, of sanctity. Sanctity doesn't really come up as much in secular values, as we'll see in a second. Uh, but one possible bridge between this conversation and, and a kind of secular level conversation is that even though the, 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 the body of the deceased, you know, the, the person has passed on, uh, still, their loved ones are still there, and and by desecrating the body, you may bring grief to those, uh, you know, those those that are still alive. And I guess in in a way, to, one way to phrase this conversation is how do we care for those that are are still grieving, um, in the context of making sure that we deal with their loved ones even after death in the most uh, humanistic and and and, and sensitive way possible. Um, and so, what are you know general uh, principles of, of secular ethics? And these are the the four principles, and most. Uh, Kind of ethicists these days use the, the you know our, our principalists so to speak they use these four principles um so one is the principle of, of autonomy to respect people's choice the second is the principles of non-malfeasance which is to do no harm in this case don't do harm to the grieving loved ones uh principles of benef beneficence do some good and the principle of justice which i think in our conversation can you know be don't eat ben and jerry's if you're, you're listening to this recording one thing i would say just um in terms of how you relate our, our Jewish ethics into the non-Jewish, um, these principles that are, are, are widely accepted. I think you make a great connection that we often think of like Jewish principles being totally separate from non-Jewish principles and they operate so differently. But um, I think you make a great connection. The reality is that even when we discuss things like palliative care and we, and we look at the, um, the support system for someone who's going through a difficult time, we also look at how the families are doing and, and things of that nature. And so that's exactly what this conversation is. I mean, aside from the fact we have the respect for the person who actually passed, we are um, valuing the, the life quality and, and honor of the body for the people who, who currently uh, survived that person. And I think that that's a really great way because a lot of things we discuss in general are hard to connect um, and, and discuss in public forums because it doesn't necessarily fit the conventional um, principles. But I think that you really kind of nailed it on the head right there. And I think that's a great way to discuss it if one were to discuss it publicly. Yeah, uh, and I definitely think it could fit, it could fit kind of, you could fit some correlates into the, these four principles, but there is a fifth principle that many the most religious cultures will have, and that's the ethic of sanctity. So if we're gonna be honest, the real reason why in, in, the, in the Jewish sources we're gonna respect the human body is because we treat, we treat humans with a certain amount of sanctity, the sanctity that we ascribe to the individual, because individuals created in God's image. Even after death, the image of God is still present, and therefore, you know, to respect the life that was lived, uh, you know, the, the the life of the human, even after, you know, even post mortem, uh, needs to be revered. Uh, but yeah, that, this can be brought down in various ways into um, into into the, the four principles of of secular medical ethics. Um, okay, so now we have a couple of ideas to explore, and we're going to find that throughout this conversation, we're going to explore two basic ideas, and those are the two basic religious values that we uh, kind of introduced this way. Uh, one was the value of human life, and the question is, what let's, we're going to analyze a little bit more. We're also going to analyze this idea of the sanctity that we, we, ascribe, that we subscribe to the, to, the, to the human format post-mortem. And in, in Halacha, in, in, in Gemar, you find there are two angles that we take this at. One is that uh, there, there's a prohibition against deriving benefit from the dead. 
that's to say after a person passed away, uh, you're not supposed to derive benefit from, from their bodies. Now this benefit could be, you know, germane. There are the sources talk about what sort of benefit this is. Um, and uh, the question is, is, a, uh, is, is, a, is an academic pursuit, is learning from the body deriving benefit? That's less clear. Um, but there's one thing that's very clear, which is uh, relating to our, con our, con you know, our the, the subject of today, which is dissection. Uh, the, the second Gemara says that you're not supposed to uh, you're not supposed to disrespect the body in the design MS. Um, now, however, whatever your intention is, uh, tearing a body limb from limb, as we do in anatomy, uh, would constitute desecration and, and, and yeah, kind of in a lachic, uh, in a lachic context. Remember, our, where we're deriving this is from the Pasuk, it says you're not supposed to hang the body. And even just hanging the body, hanging a lifeless body is considered disrespectful. Uh, definitely, definitely dissection or conventional way is going to be considered as disrespectful. Our question is going to be, are there moments in time that we're allowed to supersede that value? Um, so just to bring this down, so we brought our grammars from Masech Zohar. Uh, now we're going to bring this down to Shulchan Aruch. So Shulchan Aruch in your dish and then test, uh, it says that the, the, the one who dies, whether they are Gentile or Jewish, they, as well as their, their, their shrouds, that's their burial shrouds and their coffin and caskets, anything that was kind of prepared for them, you're not allowed to use. Um, all right, you're not, you're not allowed to use, you're not allowed to derive benefit from it. Okay, so it sounds like, so wait a second, we, remember where we, we started the conversation with the Rambam and Rashi. Uh, Rashi says it's only applies to Jews, and Ramban says it applies to Jews, non Jews. So, how does the Shulchan Aruch the, the sources from the Gemara we said we're, we're not really clear about that. Um, so, the Pischet Shuvah, the is kind of a super commentary that, that kind of helps, uh, it's, a, it's on the page of the Shulchan Aruch, and it goes through the responsible literature of the two centuries that he covers, uh, written in the 16th and 18th centuries. And, and he says that when, when the Shulchan Aruch writes that both the, the, the bodies and the, and the shrouds of, of Jewish, of Gentile and Jewish bodies are usher by now, he says there's a little bit of distinction here. Then he quotes this, this, this author, the Evan Hashem, who I honestly haven't seen before, but he, he says that the, the, the implication of the Shulchan Aruch is not that they're both usher for the same reason. He says that the Jewish body is usher deraisa, like Rashi. And the non-Jewish body is also derivana. So deriving benefit has, has two different has two different sources. For the Jewish body, it comes from this biblical principle of, 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 of not deriving benefit, and we're passing on a Rashi. And on a derivana level, even a, a non-Jewish body, the, the Rabbanan said you're not allowed to derive benefit, just like you would a, a Jewish body, just like you would not be allowed to a Jewish body. All right. So now we kind of have this flavor of it a little bit, so to speak, for us. Um, this idea of of design mass desecrating the dead on a biblical level it applies to Jewish bodies. On a rabbinic level, it also applies to non-Jewish bodies. Um, with, um, no matter where you're coming from, at the end of the day, walking into an anatomy, you know, lab would be an issue just because we have Jewish bodies on the one hand being a biblical prohibition and non-Jewish bodies being a rabbinic prohibition. So that's sort of where this discussion really comes. That at face value, there seems to be an issue no matter which way you cut it. No matter which way you cut it, but I do want to give an important preview to, and I'm happy you brought that up. When we're talking about medical schools in the United States and, and Europe, uh, really anywhere besides for Israel, the assumption is that not only are most bodies not going to be Jewish, but the body that you're going to be dealing with is 99.99% of the time going to be non-Jewish, unless specified otherwise. So, the, and, and this touches on a big concept in your day about Rive and how, how you look at statistical probability and how it influences this factor. All that aside, the assumption um, and the way you'd ask this question is, is, is that as long as you're in a medical school, school in the United States or you're you know, in the secular world, um, the body that you're going to be doing anatomy on, for the sake of the question, is not Jewish. Um, now, for the sake of the question, it, your, your body for all intents and purposes is not Jewish, and that's how kind of the, this question can be framed. So just to be very clear, we're dealing with a rabbinic prohibition, and we're going to see, is there room to 
to kind of sidestep, or is there a way to relearn under and to, to better understand what the nature of this rabbinic prohibition is? And that's kind of where we're going to be going from now. But to bring this into the into the context of our conversation before, really, so we did two two ethical values: the value of life and, and not to and, and the sanctity and the sanctity of, of the human form. Um, wouldn't the value of life supersede this this ancillary value of, of, of the human form? In other words, we said that pikuach nefesh is an overriding sacred Jewish principle. So why isn't pikuach nefesh a sufficient justification? Wouldn't the saving of future lives by educating future physicians be sufficient enough to you know allow the unfettered dissection of, of, of the human body? Um, and, and so we're not we're not really the, the first to phrase this question this way. Uh, the, the case thus surrounding this this particular chuvah that we're about to quote this is from the Nei Uh This is from his uh, his Nei which you know, his name is Rabbi Chaskalanda, but we all kind of know him in the uh, in the rabbinic circles by by, by his book name. Uh, and this is uh, two hundred you know year day two hundred and ten. Um, so Shutri Shiot. And so he, he was asked the question, and kind of the historical background also flavors the kind of the, the nature of, of this conversation. So uh, a very common, a very common, very painful medical issue that you'd have kind of uh, in, 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 the, uh, in Europe in the 16th, uh, you know, to, to, to whenever we figured out that sanitation was important, um, was that people would develop these calcifications within their bladder. Uh, and these cal calcifications would turn into these little stones. They'd be a source of infection. Uh, patients would always feel like me to be, it'd be very, very painful. Uh, it was kind of a, 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 a developing, you know, it's, it's hard to call them doctors, but one of the treatments that for all intents and purposes that you get at the barbershop, uh, and that would be the height of medical treatment back in, in, in medieval Europe, was uh, they would try to go and cut through the bladder, cut through the perineum, and, you know, and get, get at it and take the stone out. Um, now, this was a very, very considered to be a very, very risky procedure. Most patients would die, and so they, the question came that they had a patient who they knew had this had this issue, and he passed away. So patient A passed away. Patient A had this issue, and their question was, okay, we don't have a patient B right now, but we want to get better at this procedure. Can we use this patient's cadaver to practice this procedure so we can get better at it and, and potentially help people down the road? So he answers, in this case, absolutely not. And so he says, you know, in, in this case, you don't actually, there's no pikuach nefesh active in this case. You're saying that patient A passed away from this from, from a different cause. And, and, and now you want to use patient A's body to potentially help a potential theoretical patient in the future. He says, that's not the way pikuach nefesh works. Pikuach nefesh is a much more parochial, much more local issue. Pikuach nefesh is where you have someone whose, whose life is in danger and you have the moral responsibility to save that life individually here. In other words, the way, and the way he phrases it and the way it becomes phrased kind of in all rabbinic literature after that, when there's a sick person in front of you, when there's a sick person in front of you, you have the divine, you have the, you have the mandate to, 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 to save his life, but you don't have the mandate to, 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 to save a potential life in the future. You may have a mandate, it might be a nice thing to do, but you can't use this, this legal mechanism of to override others. And he says, you can't even use this to be over, you know, which, which, is, which is kind of, uh, uh, which is, you know, he, he really, really strong man's this. Um, now, this this the same sentiment uh, becomes very clear in a in a in a, in a chuva from Ramesh Feinstein. Um, we've actually quoted this chuva once before, but it was about anatomy dissection. And the way it was phrased to him was: there was a Jewish student, and he, he was asking, uh, "Am I allowed to dissect on a non-Jewish patient? Uh, sorry, am I allowed to dissect on a Jewish patient?" So he says, "No." And he says, "You might say that you know, you're going to gain, you're going to be able to do pikuach nefesh." He says, you, "You as an individual don't have pikuach nefesh in this moment." And you also don't have a responsibility to be prepared for eventual pikuach nefesh. And, and we, we quoted this last time, just like you don't have a responsibility to make a tremendous amount of money so you can give a tremendous amount of tzaka, so too you don't have the moral responsibility 
to you know, pursue medicine so that theoretically you can be useful later on. The mandate of Kukosnef, the mandate to, to heal in the moment is a responsibility for those who know how to do it. And therefore, I can't give you a heter to, to dissect a Jewish patient, a Jewish cadaver body to, for, you know, for, for this end. I can't even allow you to be over an Israel And here we're actually dealing with Isidurisa. Yeah, uh, um, yeah, it's just interesting how it manifests in, in so many different ways that at the end of the day, you know, we said it in other lectures, there's no moral responsibility to become a doctor. And so I think it's an amazing thing to become a doctor. It's an amazing thing to save lives. We all do it because we, we want to help people. And, I mean, based on this, there's no more responsibility to become a doctor. Um, it's just a moral responsibility that once you're a doctor that you have that responsibility to take care of the patients in front of you. Um, and I, I think it's pretty clear from these sources that, that that's really where this conversation takes place. I think with our Shabbos conversation, we're always talking about the patient right in front of you. I think this, this conversation we're having today in terms of dissection is nice because it lets us step back and say, what about before you get there? Um, you don't have any patients right now. What, what's your responsibility? So yeah, in other words, the, the frame of this conversation is not about medical care per se, but it's about medical education. And the question is, can you use the same mechanism uh, saying that, you know, for the sake of medical education, can we call it Pukwach Nefesh? And until now, up to this point, you say, no, absolutely not. Uh, medical education does not equal Pukwach Nefesh. Um, now, th there are other, you know, so how do you expect it to be doctors? And, and th that is actually a question that's brought in different, different places. Um, Yiddish, there is a deontological trend. So deontology was a, a Kantian philosophy, which is um, that you can't you can't be in control of all the variables. So therefore, at least do the right thing in the moment. So Yiddish does take some of this approach. And just to, to go back historically, this Neidah Behuda, uh, the surgeons were not happy with Neidah Behuda in this case, and they said, you know what, you're you're harming our future patients. If you were actually to step back though, and you appraise the situation normally, the, the, the surgeons, so to speak, were were a couple of barbers. They just, they were surgeons, surgeons because they happened to have the sharpest knives in town. And the surgeons, you know, they were they're very famous for having very dirty tunics because the dirtier their tunic, um, and the bloodier their tunic, and the more you know human remains you had in their tunic, that it proved the better and the more prestigious the surgeon you were. So people generally wouldn't die from the surgeries that they would do, which were violent and had no anesthesia. They would die though from the rampant infection. Um, and it wouldn't be until Florence Nightingale that, at least in Western, me Western medicine, actually valued you know, cleanliness and sanitation, yeah, and with Lister, germ theory, and Pasteur later on. Uh, so, arguably, uh, you know, the the Nadi Behuda saved a lot of lives uh, with this with this pronouncement. Um, that's not to say that you know, but he, he didn't know that he was saving a lot of lives. He was you know theoretically listening to the, the best medical advice of the of the age. Um, but you know, we, us as humans, we don't know. We didn't, you know, we don't have the blueprint of reality. And the assumption is that there is a blueprint of reality, and therefore sometimes we we will just figure out, okay, does it fit within our legal construct or does it not? And we'll we'll try to yeah, pass him based on that. All right, a little bit of a digression. So this question was phrased slightly differently, and based on the slightly different phraseology of the question, it, it was it was brought out differently in, in this next trupa. This was written by the you know the, the book name is called the Das Kain. This was done by Rav Cook. Uh, Rav Cook was actually a great grandson of the Tzemach Tzadik. The, you know, so he was an old Russian Jew from a Hasidic background, and he became I'm pretty sure the first uh, Ashkenazic chief rabbi of Israel. Fascinating life, fascinating man, um, a fascinating set of philosophies. And and this trupa shows both his um, sensitivity, but also his pragmatism, which is really interesting. So it was, it, so this was in, uh, this was, you know, in, in, in Yerushalayim, uh, and they were starting a Jewish medical school, or, you know, the hospital there. Um, it's not really clear from who, who exactly phrased the question, but it's clear that this is more of a societal question. They, they asked, um, are we allowed to use Jewish cadavers? 
uh, in our pursuit of medical knowledge. Uh, what's clear from, this, from the phraseology of the question was, the, for the first time in history, Israel is a Jewish state. Um, the first time in, in a modern history, you therefore need to make medical schools, uh, you know, or medical education needs to, be, needs to be done, and you really only have Jews. Most of the Jews are gonna be, most of the bodies are therefore gonna be Jewish. Uh, so he says, you have the moral responsibility to buy non-Jewish bodies, compensate them well, make sure it's being done willingly, and you're not allowed to use Jewish bodies. And so th they, they came back and said, but wait a second, if we're only gonna be using non-Jewish bodies, you're potentially causing a libel. And the libel is gonna be that Jews respect Jewish bodies, but they desecrate non-Jewish bodies. And people are gonna hate us for that. So he, he answers very pragmatically and he says, I, I just read his Hebrew because it, 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 it's, so, it's, so, it's, so, it's so relevant to this day. It's just, the, the, those that want to hate the Jewish people and those that are twisted with, you know, with kind of the poison of anti-Semitism, you're not going to stop them from making more libels. There's no amount of Jewish bodies that you could dissect to avoid the next blood libel. And this is coming from a you know interesting point of history that the time that he lived through and the time that he saw, uh, this was this was very, very clear. So in other words, Rav Cook's answer is the haters are going to hate. That doesn't let you, um, you know, that doesn't let you dissect the Jewish body. How do, how do you phrase this? How do you how do you square this with the, with the position of Eva? That, that maybe we'll do in a little bit. But yeah, that, 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 that's, his, that's his take on it. All right. I think, um, I, think I don't want to be political in any way, but I think that uh, that does just fit with what we, we were experiencing over the past few months. Um, it's quiet down now, but I think that's very much what we've seen um, in terms of all what's going on in Israel. Um, but I, I would also like to just ask or really point out rather that it seems like he's really not going with any issue of of uh, the rabbinic prohibition of a non-Jewish body dissection. Seems like- Right, so he says you're allowed to use a non-Jewish body. And he doesn't really clarify in this show, if, if I remember correctly, exactly why you're allowed to. Now remember we said that, the, that, that we, were, we weren't really, we, we were reading the Pesach to say that the, the Mechaber really holds like Rashi, which says it's only biblical prohibition by, right. by Jewish bodies, but non-Jewish bodies, he says clearly though that there's rabbinic prohibitions. So how would he read the Mechaber? And I read those, those sources. It's less clear from this source, from the next verse that we're going to bring, though, we're going to realize that the, that the rabbinic prohibition might have a different mechanism than the Jewish prohibition. Um, and, and so this is, this is kind of a trivia that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, I sent it in last year to Rav Zilberstein's Kailal. Um, and the fun part for me was it's a SUNY Downsgate Medical School. So you don't really see very often, uh, first of all, English in some of these trivias. But uh, it, was, it was really nice to see uh, you know, our, our, our school represented in, in the halachic literature. And so th this was a much longer trivia. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, on YouTube, but uh, so it's a 16 page show and it goes through a bunch of questions, Bizarian MS, Nivel MS, it goes, uh, um, it talks about, it talks about, you know, how long are you allowed to postpone the burial of a body? It talks about um, what does a Kayan do? So it, it's, it's really a fun read. Uh, it's a long read though. So he phrases it differently. He says, based on a Chazanish, he says, when, when you look at the, the, the mechanism of this Isidra button about not disrespecting a non-Jewish body, he says, the, the way the Chacham set this up was they said, we really need to respect the life that was lived, the person. In other words, you need to respect the, the, the person as they lived through his life. And therefore, the assumption is that you also need to respect your dead body. On the other hand, in this case, where someone willingly donated their body, their body to science in a non-Jewish context, um, you respect their wishes. So since the mechanism of the rabbinic prohibition against desecrating a non-Jewish body comes from uh, the extension of wanting to respect their wishes during life as well, therefore, if, they're, uh, if they donated their body to science, it's fully allowed on a, there's no rabbinical prohibition against respecting the body as they wish. 
Um, th this is kind of a fascinating you know, angle, and I only really just brought the, the summary of his position piece, but he's basically saying that the biblical prohibition is that God views the Jewish body as being sacred, therefore we need to respect it. The non-Jewish body, on a rabbinical level, needs to be respected because you need to respect your fellow, your, your fellow Gentile as well. Um, therefore, if by respecting them, you're respecting their wishes, then you're, then you're totally allowed. And that's a mechanism that he, he uses based on a, on a, on a beautiful Luchaz niche. Um, again, if you want to read the full trivia, the, the full trivia is going to be there. Um, all right. Yeah, so now- mind, actually. Can go back real quick. So um, it's interesting, actually, just because now it seems like it parallels that, that ethical principle we were talking about earlier. Um, it seems like it parallels it almost even more so now because we're really concerned with the desecration of the body based on the person who had lived um, wishes, which is sort of like what we were discussing before about taking care of the living um, and how they feel. So even though we're putting it in the context of someone who already passed, it is still based on uh, those feelings of, of whether or not there would be disgrace to that body. Um, so in, so in, to phrase it slightly differently, when the Chachamim made this, 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 this Xera, this, this Takana, so to speak, of the Chachamim, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm mixing up words, Xera is not the same as a, as a Takana, and that's not the same as Nisr, but uh, they, they're usually, they're really speaking from a secular place. The, the secular value that you need to have is that of, of do no harm and of do good. And the way we're defining do no harm and do good here is by respecting your patient's questions here. Um, which was, which was really interesting to see. So this bridge is not a newfangled bridge, so to speak, between secular ethics and Jewish ethics. This is very much hardwired into halacha. Uh, and, and, and a general you know, thesis statement for myself, but whenever you learn more terror, the more, the more you recognize how not only isn't there uh, you know, some sort of dissonance between Jewish values and normal secular, secular values, um, the ways of terror, the ways of peace, the ways of terror are, are, are beautiful. And the more you learn about them, the more you're able to kind of take this beautiful Christian that we all have uh, and, and really word it and give a voice to those values in our, in our contemporary, contemporary modern lives as well. And then um, just, to, just to point out, so like uh, Menachem briefly mentioned, that if you notice at the top of this, um, this slide here, it says, Harav HaChashev Rav Menachem Jacobs. Um, he kind of modestly said, oh, that he sent it in, but I just wanted to take a moment and, and thank him for, in front of everyone watching this video. And I hope that anyone enjoying this video realizes how much work he puts into this um, like you said, this was a 16-page um, published chuva. He, he, he's constantly in touch with many Rabbanim regarding a lot of what we discuss. I can tell you from experience, sometimes we'll, he'll work on over 150 pages of, of uh, sources before putting together a succinct slide. Um, so I, I want to express how thankful I am. And if you're watching this video and enjoying, um, you should just realize how much work he, he really devotes to all this. Um, and you can see that it's a very, it's, it's very updated. He's constantly in, in touch with um, a lot of Rabbanim, and it's really an amazing thing. So I, I have plausible deniability here because this is Rabbi Chashem Menachem Yaakovs. So I'm not, I'm, <laughs> my last name isn't Yaakov. So, you know, I, I, we don't actually know if this was me, but it was nice. There's some student from Downstairs School of Medicine who, uh, who got this, who got this trouble. All right. Okay, so now, now we've kind of dealt with the, the, the background. We've dealt with some of the history. We understand that. Um, that as long as your body's non-Jewish, that means for our, the sake of our conversation, as long as you're doing anatomy dissection uh, in the Western world, you'd be allowed to. Um, does Halacha have any recommendations for you know, a student entering anatomy lab? lab? And, and the answer is 100%. We, we, there are actually some, some poignant points that, that a student should take with them from the base measure, so to speak, into, into, into anatomy dissection. The first is, um, as, a, as, a firm, as a firm Jew, you have a moral responsibility to avoid 
uh, any calistration, any any frivolity, uh, the way we're going to define it in a second. And that that is, we have a religious responsibility, as we've been talking about before, to really respect uh, the donation and re really respect the life that was lived, uh, and and really value the fact that we we have this learning this learning opportunity. Uh, so things that are would be considered disrespectful would be to eat and drink in the cadaver lab. Um, Halakha would recognize this as a cemetery, and just like you're not allowed to eat and drink in a cemetery, you're, you're not allowed to eat and drink here. Um, it says, in turn, vain shame and shum. So you're not really supposed to learn Torah or really learn anything else that's not associated with that. And then, and, and, uh, you know, associated with your, your studies in that place, meaning treat the anatomy lab not as a study hall, but as really the place that you're supposed to learn something specific with a, you know, a certain amount of solemnity. Uh, you don't make any other calculations there. In other words, you're coming to anatomy lab, you have a more responsibility to be as respectful as possible, which, by the way, is quite difficult. And I've slipped up personally. You're there for many, many hours, um, especially we were double masked up with face shields. The whole thing was, yeah, you know, and, and it's hard, but, you know, it's something, it's something to bear in mind. Uh, another, another little point, which um, is, is kind of an interesting you know, way how, how, I, how I came onto this, but... Uh, if you're wearing tzitzis, you should try to tuck them in. Um, now, we, it didn't really come up with our anatomy lab because we were kind of wearing these massive smocks that go around your whole body, so everything was covered up anyway. But if you're just wearing scrubs, uh, tucking your tzitzis is a good idea. I think it's a good idea. Uh, when, I, when I said this to, when I, when I pointed this out to, to the people I was talking to about, you know, the Rabbanu I was talking to, they said, the mechanism of the hatchet that we're giving you is really that we're assuming that all bodies are not going to be Jewish. If we assume that the bodies were going to be Jewish, we'd say, you know, you're not allowed to do the dissection. So tzitzis, you're not supposed to wear tzitzis because you're not supposed to be doing a mitzvah in front of a body because that's supposed to be embarrassing to the body. The body can't do mitzvahs anymore and you can do mitzvahs. A non-Jew never had the chiv of mitzvahs anyway, so it's not disrespectful. Um, but listen, even though we're, the assumption is that your body is not Jewish, and, you know, especially in Tristadaria, where there's a hundred bodies there, and, and it turns out in New York Medical College, some of the bodies might be Jewish, it's a good idea to, to tuck your tzitzis. All right. Um, the, the third and final thing that applies to everyone is after you leave the cadaver lab, you're supposed to treat it like a, you know, with the solemnity of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a cemetery. So wash your hands. After we leave uh, basic virus, we wash our hands. There's a, you know, a certain separation between life and death that we need to, that we need to keep. And, and kind of that's the, that's the last little bit. So we have a responsibility to be respectful. That includes potentially technique and um, and, and the other is washing your hands as we leave. Um, all right, and that kind of finishes us off. And we'll finish off, I guess, with the words of the, the Mishnah Burrell, um, that, you know, defining what a, uh, what a basic virus is, defining what a cemetery is. Uh, he says, it's a mess. Even if you're only going into one person who passed on. We, we, we treat this as kind of a, a cemetery experience and we, we wash our hands as well. And we're, we're as respectful as possible. Um, and I think that's a, that's a good note to end off. Yeah, I would just um, just elaborate and summarize maybe real quick, because um, I don't know if we, we, we've discussed this personally, I don't know if it was so clear in this public discussion, but um, for the, the takeaway being that an average student walking into an anatomy lab somewhere across the country, um, when you approach your body, you can, you can make the assumption that that body is not Jewish. And with that, based on what we saw earlier, that would allow you to, to go ahead with dissection, not a problem, we're assuming it's not Jewish, and with a non-Jewish body, if they've donated it and you're giving the proper respect, you can go ahead and do the dissection without question. There's, uh, unless you have reason to believe there's Jewish, but you don't have to jump to any um, conclusions about that unless there's real reason to believe so. And that also was the discussion you were saying about tzitzis, was that if the heter that we're saying is specifically by, by the fact that when you walk up to a body, you can make the assumption it's not Jewish, 
um, then you know you wouldn't need to cover your tissue. 